Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for another match review slash match preview. Newcastle beat Crystal Palace 1-0 at St James Park on Wednesday. They then head down to Norwich to face, well, Norwich on Saturday. John, there's only one place we can start though. I've had a few tweets already about the fact that Miguel Almiron scored not just the winner but an absolutely sublime goal. Everyone that listens to this podcast knows, knows we have quite a debate about Miguel Almiron. Mm. And he's just added to it ever so slightly with his performance last night. Wonderful goal. Uh, absolutely outstanding goal. Worthy of winning any match, never mind last night's match, and equaling the six-winning run of Bobby Robson. Um so that was the pluses which were monumental. You're so thrilled for the lad because he is that sort of guy that wins over people because of his sunny disposition, etc., etc. But uh, let me just add uh, that it seems to me, and I know my fading memory, that it's an awful long time since we saw an Almaron uh, goal or assist and so to suggest it was long overdue might be harsh, but is factually correct. February, and may I go on? February 2021. Yeah, well, for, that's worth £20 million of anybody's money. Um, and no, I'm saying a lot of it with tongue-in-cheek. I couldn't be happier for the lad. I hope that what happens with him is the same as happens with Shaw and Shelby and Joe Linton and Fraser, who have all risen from a bed of nails uh, since Howe came and contributed enormously uh, to the Newcastle cause. But, you know, maybe I've got too high standards and maybe a few people have got too low standards, but somebody as as important, as legendary and as revered as Alan Shearer said after the game last night that you can never criticise Miggy's work rate, desire and application but you can criticise his crossing and his finishing and that he's still playing for his future. They are Shearer's words, not mine. Although I happen to think that she was absolutely correct. And I hope that he goes to Norwich on Saturday and scores another winner like that and puts in a terrific performance. I can't love the guy for his enthusiasm more than I do. I can't be more realistic because this is my club and my standards are not those of a limbo dancer who's quite happy to go under a very low bar, but wanting a bit more than that. Yeah, I've, I've said this before about Almiron. I think he does get a little bit unfair press. I think, yes, you look at the stats, he needs more goals, needs more assists, but... If you play up front, you do need you do, more goals. Do, and by the way, he had none. By the way, he ha- he didn't need. He doesn't need more. He needed some. And last night's was the first one. And by the way, we're getting into a situation where I'm being negative about a wonderful match winner. And I adore what he did no, last I, night. I want to see more. I don't want to wait another year for his next goal. I don't think you'd be negative. I, I and mean, this is the kind of debate I heard on the terraces last night. This exactly. is what people are talking about. Exactly. But, I mean, we've got to put in a... Con- he's rarely been played in his in his best position, I don't think, especially in the Steve Bruce. Oh, we're not um, going to go best we're, positions we're, we're, again, no, we're not, same we're not, as Chris but, Wood. But I, I think, right, when you when you look at 
um, the build-up to goals, Almiron is usually, the, or when he was a regular on the team, was usually the person who got the ball and carried the ball first, and he brought the ball across into the, the first, in, in, in Newcastle's attacking half, passed it, and then Newcastle would go and score. That doesn't show up on the assists. That doesn't sometimes show nope. up on the highlights because you know they've only got so much footage they can show in a limited time. And, he, and sometimes that effort was, was missed out previously. You know, yesterday against Crystal Palace, played in an attacking role. I think even besides the great goal, and it arguably was the best goal we've seen at St. James's Park in a very long while. Man of the match for me, you know, he works his socks off. He was getting stuck in. He was making the right passes. He was carrying the ball forward. And I'm just over the moon to see him score a goal. And a cracking goal at that. And fingers crossed, John, this is the star. I know he's been here so long, and I can see didn't, your expression didn't now. Didn't he say this was the start when Chris Wood scored that header when Newcastle won the running header? I'm not talking about penalties because they're a different ball game. The running header was just the start for Chris Wood. We haven't seen a, a goal from open play since. Alan Mewen has got more chance than Chris Wood of, of, of scoring, even though Wood's playing centre. Um, but... Let us not lose fact, sight of the fact that that was the first goal or assist this season. And we're in April. We're in the countdown. What, six matches to go? The kid was lovely. He's got a real chance to build on that against Norwich because they're the opposition that will allow you to play well. Let's see in the next home game whether he did what he did last night. That's Liverpool, by the way. I think he's going to get a goal against Norwich, and we'll talk about Norwich. Against who? Norwich. Norwich, yeah. Later. Do you think he's going to get a goal against Liverpool? Gonna, well, who knows? Who knows? The way Newcastle's, uh, Eddie Howe's Newcastle United are going, they can beat anyone, so why not? So they're going to beat Liverpool and Manchester City, are Why they? not, John? Why not? Because they're the best two sides in Europe, not in this country. They are a different class. You look at yeah, what Chelsea's be, they're, they're doing. They're going to be nervous. They're going to be nervous. They're they've got all, be, that, they all look, the pressure on them. They've looked the nervous, on. haven't they? They've looked desperately nervous uh, recently when they just keep on winning. They look, look nervous in the last two games. If it's neck and neck, though, going into them games... The pressure's, on, well, the pressure's are on both sides. Oh, behave they? yourself. They're both Look. Liverpool and Man City are used to pressure. They've played under pressure. They exist under pressure. They are what we wish to be. And hopefully, we, we, in several years' time, we will be. But behave yourself. Don't make me smile. I've got a split lip. They're not, they're not going to uh, battle under pressure. Newcastle will give them both a, a, a big game, I believe. I, I hope that it's not like the last time we played two good forwards who were, were song in the cane. And I don't believe, I believe that was a one-off, and I, I do believe that we'll do a bit. But Brighton found it a bit tough in the second half against Manchester City. And if you look at that Liverpool side, I know Man United, Liverpool have got five forwards yeah. who are sensational. We don't need to fear anyone. When you castle United, John, and... You know, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Let's, let's, let's ride this wave can, can, can I sort of try to tie you down? This was the Newcastle United side who, when we played... Let's take Norwich because that's the next game. When we played Norwich on November the 30th and drew 1-1 up here... At the end of that game, where we hadn't won for 14 matches at that, with that 1-1, we were bottom of the table, three points 
behind Norwich. Three points behind Norwich. We're now 19 points ahead of them. That's how much of a turnaround there's been. But let's not lose fact that we went into December in that dreadful state. Now we're marching on the Champions League and we... Uh, they were, we've got Manchester City and Liverpool terrified about uh, playing us. That's, uh, you know, living uh, Can I say two words? Real world. We we live. We have hope for the first time in fourteen years because Mr. Ashley, the exhaust pipe, went over the time bridge for the final time, and thank God for that. I am thrilled to bits about what Newcastle have done. I'm thrilled to bits about six wins on the bounce at home. I'm. Th- over the moon about being 11th in the table, 40 points after the start of the season. It is absolutely unbelievable. But, you know, I don't want to be a balloon where somebody takes a piece of string off the end and it goes up into the air. I would prefer to be a bit realistic. And if we are realistic, then we will never feel let down next season. I mean, if we continue talking like this, we'll not have to buy in the summer. Because this squad will be good enough to be top six next season. Do you want to go for top six next season with this squad? No additions. I think I think that would be stretching it slightly. But I I do generally think you know Newcastle United the way they're playing at home. Uh, you know Liverpool will not be looking favourably at coming up here with a crowd. But that 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 is for the episode in a few weeks. It time. is indeed. We it could, is uh, indeed. We could go on all day. Let's get back to the game against Crystal Palace. You know, we, we, let, let's talk about that Almiron goal because there were so many good parts to it. Emil Kraft thinking quick with a throw. Bruno's touchdown on the chest, the, the, the volleyed pass, which was just unbelievable. Down to Almiron, he had to show strength. He had to show a bit of speed to get into the box. And then the finish, I mean, I've watched it several times and I'll continue watching it. Um, over the next few years. Do you years. think you might miss it like the next time if you don't <laughs> keep watching it? <laughs> <laughs> what, I mean, just what, what a goal. All them parts together. Wonderful goal. It, it, it was the sort of goal you want deserves to win a match and you wanted to win a match because it's so deserving of that. And he deserves every headline that he has got for doing that. I mean, it was absolutely sublime. And as you say, the ball from Bruno was terrific. He was up against Mitchell, such a highly rated left back who was on his shoulder, Almiron, when he when he went in the corner, shaped his body right so he could take it with his left foot and took it in the top. And you could see the relief on the kid, the way he whipped his shirt off and jumped into the crowd to celebrate with the fans. Everything about that deserved to be the match winner that it was. I haven't checked the rules, but should he have been sent off maybe because he takes his shirt off and then he jumps into the crowd? Is that a Double yellow offence? No, no. Uh, you're trying to kill the kid, haven't Billy? I'm ju- no, I'm you imagine, ju- can you imagine? The, can, you know, <laughs> the reason you get booked for taking your shirt off is that you're supposed to antagonise the other set of fans. That was why the rule was originally brought in. Though I think it's a most stupid rule because this is showbiz. In whirling your, your, your shirt round your head is wonderful drama. It's theatre. It, it's wonderful. But can you imagine if if you if you can't take your shirt off because you might antagonise and cause riot? Can you imagine the riot that would have been caused at Newcastle United if he'd been booked twice and sent <laughs> off? Uh, it would have been unbelievable, wouldn't it? Um, I mean, he looked, in my view, Newcastle's biggest attacking threat. He had a couple of half chances, shall, shall we say, before he scored the first chance he was played in and he took that heavy touch and it was it was blocked and I think a lot of fans maybe would have 
gone off, you know, here we go. Because we, we see him get in these positions quite often and it is often the, the, the touch that lets him down or the, the, the final ball, you know, that the shot isn't as powerful or it just goes wide. You know, it was a good block. And then we had the effort where it hit uh, Kiyoti's arm. Uh, hand, I, I thought it was a handball. You know, again, mm. Miggy, bad touch, but he, he collects it again and just whacks it towards goal. Did you think it was a handball? In in regular time, just watching it with the naked eye as opposed to uh, on television, my first reaction when it happened was that it was a handball. Yeah, yeah, it, I must say I thought it was. And they had other chances as well. I mean, um, uh, St. Maximum had a, a shot save. Chris Wood was played in and he rolled the ball wide. Thankfully for him, the offside flag did go up. But they the, the, the were uh, threatening in the first half, Newcastle and Almiron scores. You then get to the second half, a couple of chances. I mean, Joe Linson headed one wide, but it was a total change in the way the game played out because the second half was really Crystal Palace throwing everything at Newcastle without really hurting them. But, you know, Newcastle, it was a hard slog. I don't think either of the goalkeepers were overworked last night. You, you, you don't think either the Palace keeper or Dubrovka made a series of terrific saves where you say... Crikey, what what a you know like Fraser Foster did for example when Southampton won the other night, and you say he won the game for us. Uh, it wasn't like that at all. Um, I mean, while it was always going to be magical, Miggy in the headlines and deservedly so for the type of goal he scored, we should not lose sight of the fact that the back four in front of Dubrovka were absolutely outstanding and have been, apart from the second half at Spurs, the first half at Spurs was okay, you know. I mean, it was the second half that was the shambles and because it's the second half, it's what you're left remembering and there's five goals against you. Take out the second 45 minutes at Spurs and defensively, Newcastle have been excellent. And um, the back four last night defended for their lives and were wonderful because for long periods of the second half, we were camped around our own 18-yard box and it was like the ball was just whacked upfield and kept coming back. A lot of the midfield and the front three were running on empty. It, there wasn't an out ball. I always remember talking to Craig and Clark and various people. David Craig was there at the match last night and he used to say, they like McDonald for the out ball. You'd get up the McDonald, his pace would frighten him, etc., etc. He would hang on to it, he would give defenders a breather, they could regroup uh, positionally and they'd be ready for the next game. This ball was getting whacked out and coming straight back. It wasn't sticking anywhere and a lot of players were running on empty in that second 45. Um, but the, the will, the sheer willpower, the sheer organisation, the sheer commitment and enthusiasm of Newcastle defensively is what has been the bedrock of this six-match winning run at home. There's no question about that. In each game, if you think about it, we've won, apart from Everton 3-1, which was a very late goal to stretch it to 3-1, we have won every match by a single goal, either 1-0 or 2-1. And the defence has had a huge part to play in those victories, even though they've been at home as opposed to away. You could see how well Newcastle's defence was doing because Crystal Palace's main threat, or two main threats, he had Conor Gallagher who just could not get into the game. You know, you would have thought the fact that he wasn't allowed to play it in the FA Cup semi-final, he would have been fresh, he would have been raring to go. He got booked, arguably could have been sent off because 
he got booked and then quickly uh, committed a foul soon after. He got subbed off very early on, I thought. Uh, I was I was pleased in, in one sense to see him go, but pleased not in another sense because he hadn't done every, anything all game. Um, and then Sahar as well. He was getting frustrated very, very early on. And a lot of people thought, a lot of people where I was sitting thought he was very fortunate to still be on the pitch because he pushed Kraft and then there was another coming together with Bruno Gimoresh and Almiron. He was very frustrated and I think that just shows just how well Newcastle kept Palace's star players quiet. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, I think mentally Palace weren't at the races. They dis- the huge disappointment of getting knocked out in the semi-final of, an, of the FA Cup. I mean, it's different if you're Liverpool or Man City or Arsenal or Chelsea because you think, well, I'll be in the semi-final next year. If you're Newcastle or you're Burnley or you're Crystal Palace and it's once in a lifetime, the crushing defeat and knowing that you're not going down and you're not going to make Europe, your season is beginning to peter out. And I think that showed, particularly in the first half against Palace, Vieira obviously got stuck into the mid- in the interval and they, they had a better approach second half without having a cutting edge whatsoever. And that was mainly due to the Newcastle back four. Um, but yes, yes, uh, they dominated the second half. But as I say, what saves had Dubovka to make? He, he didn't make a lot of terrific saves to keep us in the game. Yeah, you had Sahar put one really, really close. He put one just wide of the goal, didn't he? And then he, he fired over right towards the end. But that was about it. Newcastle, though, didn't threaten either. But, I mean, you look at some of the stats here in terms of the duels won and, you know... I, I thought mean, you didn't like stats because they showed you what Almeida's contribution has been. You know, every now and then I'll read a few stats out. You're the one that's not a big fan, I don't think. No, no, no. But the, all of a sudden you thought stats were very unfair on Almiron. No, no, no. We'll go, we can go back to Almiron. Look, he needs to score more goals and assists. But I think if you look at his overall game... Look, I'm repeating myself. Almiron, you're brilliant. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to bring you in. I'm fishing in the river and trying to get you on the hook. I think you've, I think you've hooked. Um <laughs> I mean, Gamoresh, 13 duels out of 25. He was he was superb again last night. And it sounds daft, but I was I was watching him when he was putting his foot in. And even the tackles he was putting in just looked like a different quality. Like there was there was one tackle where he kind of he puts one foot forward, but he wins it with the, the leg behind him. I can't really explain it better than that. I'll try and find the clip and and um and maybe put it on social media. But I just turned to to my dad who I sat next to. I just think even the way he tackles is just it's just it's just different. He was he was brilliant again. He was getting his foot stuck and he was winning them fouls we've talked about, which you know brings relief and breaks of play. What what you get in a good player like him, Andrew, is the cleverness. Yes. Um, I mean, if you notice, right near the end, he was running into the right hand corner at the Gallagher end, and when he had the ball, I'm sitting next to the supermarket, and we said, "Draw a foul, draw a foul," because we needed time, we needed a breather, we were under the cosh. He went between two, deliberately between two, because a leg could be stuck out. He went down, referee immediately blows, we've got a free kick to put into their box or put into the corner uh, and waste a bit more time. If you remember, he lay prostrate on the 
pitch for what seemed like 30, 40 seconds afterwards. Wasn't injured, was exhausted. Hadn't, he, he was absolutely physically exhausted. If you think the effort he had put in the previous game uh, and then the effort he put in here and then when he dragged himself up to his feet for the, the free kick to be taken, he gestured to the crowd, come on, come on, lift and drag us over the line. He's clever. He's a proper professional. He does it the right way. He doesn't lose his head. He's not a headless chicken. He's a clever footballer, and that showed. And he is going to be invaluable to Newcastle. But what he's got to become next season and the season afterwards, because pray God he will be with us for a while, he hasn't got to become the Bruno superstar. He's got to become the benchmark for future signings. We must look to have future signings that are as good as him, not think, oh, didn't we get lucky with Bruno? See if we can fill in beneath him. That He must be the standard of signing we go for in the summer. At that price range, I'm not talking about 100 million, find another 40 million guy that's playing abroad in the French League or whatever, that's a Brazilian that has got his capabilities. He's our benchmark now, not our standout man. It's funny you should mention another Brazilian, another midfielder playing yeah. in, in France. I'm sure our listeners uh, can, can come up with a, at least one name that that might fit because even Bruno himself in yesterday's match day programme did say he would like to see his mate from Lyon, uh, Paqueta, come over. So maybe, you never know. He's, well, he's he a might, quality little player, him as well. He might be uh, not only um, Newcastle star man, but chief scout. <laughs> uh, because... Uh, People will, people within the club will listen to what Bruno's got to say because he has been a breath of fresh air in this club. And by the way, we've had a few. Trippier before he was injured, Big Burn now. Uh, we've had a few that have just come in that have been a breath of fresh air and helped the club get to where we are now, which is 11th on 40 points. Who would have thought of that with all these matches still to play to the end of the season? Wonderful. Unbelievable. I mean, Matt Target, another one then. Yes, absolutely. It was terrific last night. What was good to see last night, you mentioned there just how assured the defence looked and it's been good to see Dan Byrne sort of get back to basics because obviously he had that brilliant start to his career at Newcastle. People were talking, including us too, is he going to get into the England fold? He then had a couple of mistakes against Chelsea, against yep. Everton, yep. Um, against Spurs. But in the previous games to this one, the Crystal Palace one, he's just got back to what he's good at. And yesterday I thought he was really good in the air. Him and Cher were just winning everything they went up for. Uh, Crystal Palace just couldn't handle the physicality at the back. The good thing with Byrne is that perhaps it's his upbringing. You know, he was thrown out as a kid at Newcastle. He played at Dalton. He played Fulham. He had to come up the tough way. He has never believed his own press. He has. Um, he knows what's got him to where he is now. That's by doing the basic things well. He doesn't want to be Philip Albert. He, he doesn't want to be the guy that comes out at the back and nutmegs people and flicks it over his shoulder. He knows his great strengths is to win it in the air, to get it, surge forward and give it. Uh, in the way that Alan Ball used to say when he when he was playing for England he used to, or, or for Arsenal, he used, to, he used to say to any youngster coming in the side, hey son, when you win the ball, give it to them who can play. 
and <laughs> would you say the biggest insult or the best advice you can ever give? And um, that is Dan's strength, is that he plays to his own strengths and doesn't suddenly decide, I can be Bobby Moore. No, he, he's Jack Charlton, and he does Jack Charlton very, very well, and so did Jack Charlton, by the way. <laughs> um, let's talk about the substitutions in the game, because... I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. So, Miggy came off for Joe Willick and Alan St. Maxman came off for Jacob Murphy. But I just want to focus on, on the introduction of, of Willick because Joe Linton got moved out on to the left mm-hmm. so to allow Willick, Gamoresh and Shelby to be across the middle. And I felt that Newcastle lost their shape a little bit when that happened. I, I, I looked at Joe Linton. He didn't look comfortable in my opinion or he didn't look as comfortable as he has done in the middle of the park it might have been the legs were starting to go slightly but I'm just wondering what did you notice from that kind of the last yeah. from that substitution being made the last 15 minutes and and do you think that's a little bit of a uh, uh, like a, is that how Eddie Howe going forward is going to maybe approach this because do you think mm. in the long term it's going to be Joe Willie Gimaresh and Shelby across the middle and Joe Linton is going to have to well, where does he fit in? Yeah, it is interesting, uh, and it was interesting. It was a, a little bit difficult to judge because it would have been easier to judge if it had been the start of the game had been that way, how Joe Linton did. A lot of legs had gone by the stage we're talking about. Uh, Newcastle had worked so hard um, in the last game and in this game against Palace that uh, in the second half, they, well, a lot of them were running on empty. Um, it is going to be an interesting problem. I mean, Joe Linton was a wide attacker when we signed him. We decided he was a centre-forward for some unknown reason. But in Germany, he really played wide left. And and we were sort of almost pushing him into that position last night. It's not foreign to him, but I'm not certain it's his best position. There is a problem because without being inside Eddie Howe's mind, you you do get the impression that he thinks he's got four pretty decent midfielders and only three positions. When you when you think of Shelby, uh, Bruno, um, Joe Linton, and Willock, uh, and if you want to get Willock back in the team, how do you do that uh, for his? legs and for his possible but finishing. You, you're waiting on Joe Linton to have a bad game, but he just he just keeps going and going and going. And, and Or Shelby do. Because you know Bruno's not going to go out. I thought Shelby had, a, had, a, had a, de- a really decent game against Crystal Palace as well. And again, we go back to the to the issue we had when Gamoresh came in. It's such a wonderful dilemma to have that and in many ways, it's a bad one that you're waiting on someone's form to drop, someone to have a but bad that, game that, to make the change. But yeah, but that happened with Bruno, didn't mm. it? We were, you know, the three midfielders we had at the time, which was Willick, Shelby and Joe Linton, was said can't be dropped because they're playing so well. So Bruno had to sit out and wait for his chance. And now it, it's Willick in that position. Also, if Willick goes in the team, his greatest strength is... is bursting forward and making late runs into the box and trying to finish, which means that if you're going to play him in the middle of the park, you're going to have to change Bruno's position ever so slightly to do a a little bit more defensive work. Because if you have Bruno bombing on, you have Willock bombing on and Joe Linton standing on the burning deck sort of thing. Um, So you've got to then drop uh, Bruno back to perhaps sit with Shelby and allow Willock to go on. It is a very difficult 
balancing act. And the interesting thing you came up with then is, well, what's going to be the future for Joe Linton? Is he going to be the rear of Newcastle United uh, in in that midfield, or is he going to get shoved left to accommodate um, Willock? I think the whole, if you talk about the whole of the players, about Almiran, about Fraser, about Joe Linton, about Shaw, their future depends on who Newcastle buy in the summer. And we cannot decide now who Newcastle will buy in the summer, and neither can Newcastle United, because they spent a lot of January trying to sign the central defender, which would have presumably meant Shaw wouldn't be in the side, because Byrne was obviously going to be in the side. We didn't get either of the big names and we didn't sign a centre-half. So we could say we want a centre-forward and a left-back, whether it's target or not, and maybe he's a midfield player, etc., uh, etc., et maybe he's a goalkeeper. But until we get them, we don't know. And, uh, you know, who's to say that they pluck another top, top midfielder out of the air in the summer? Because... Whatever we say and however grateful we are for Joe Linton and, say, Shelby and, say, Willick, certainly with Shelby and Willick, they can be improved. There's no, I, I don't think it's the number one priority in a million years for Newcastle, but unless you're, unless you're Saha, you can be improved. Unless you're Foden or De Bruyne, you can be improved. Um, and therefore, it depends on what we see as our priority in the summer. Jordan's done enough to make that decision in the in the, in the summer a very or a more difficult one for oh, Newcastle United. Absolutely, Joe Linton's been a revelation. Considering we... how poor he was as, as a through the middle striker mm. and how effective he is as a big breaker up of the tax in the middle of the park. Exactly, because I think a lot of people, myself included, expected this run, this brilliant run in the midfield he's had to fall off at some point, but it just it just hasn't, has it? And I, I, and I think, for me, and I said this last week, when we're talking about this midfield debate, it is Bruno Gomes, Joe Linton, and then one of Willick and Shelby, and at this present time with the options they've got, it's Shelby, we're going into the summer, and we'll we'll you know obviously we'll do an episode later once the season's finished, and no doubt talk about this in more depth. I think you know the way Joe Linton's been playing is a central midfielder, you know, really up there at the top list of priorities. Yes, he's done terrific, yeah, and he's been consistent with it. There's absolutely no question about that, and it's quite phenomenal. Of all the people that have benefited. And Shaw's benefited enormously by the faith that uh, Howes had in him. Fraser, who uh, body language was dreadful, has benefited. Uh, Kraft has benefited. Uh, but Joe Linton has benefited the most because where he was, he looked a poor, poor player and was slagged unmercifully by everybody. He wouldn't have been one of the first out the door this summer oh, for many fans. no question. At all. The, the only question would have been who on earth would have taken him and how much would they have paid. Uh, but as And by the way, it would be exactly the same if he was moved forward to number nine tomorrow because he isn't a number nine, bless him, and that's become quite obvious. And, you know, we're thrilled for him that he's done it, uh, but he's done terrific. He's done terrific. And yes, Bruno's the number one midfielder, but I think after that, Joe Linton is, and then it's one from two. So four Norwich, are you keeping the same three in that in that midfield? 
Yes, if there was a week before Norwich, I would just be saying unquestionably. What worries me, and only how can answer this, because you see them in training, um, or you will tomorrow when they regroup again on Friday before we go down to Norwich, is that by the, I think, the amount of work that was put in by Newcastle to beat Leicester and then to beat Palace, there was a lot of people in the second half who looked physically exhausted. Will they recover enough to go again? They'll want to because they've they've been winning, etc., etc. Or do you think where you can make changes won't necessarily weaken the side and put in fresh legs, whether that be Willick, Willick or whether it Longstaff. be Longstaff, Longstaff, who never gets a mention. And there's that sort of possibility. And if I was picking for the next match, which was a week off, I would stick with exactly what we've got. Have they got the legs? Have they got the ability? How weary are they? Mentally, as much as physically, is what Eddie Howe's got to decide. Yeah, and we'll obviously get more on fitness, injuries, and in Eddie Howe's press conference leading up. But he to... won't tell you that. Well, no, because he... he's got a, he's got a history of uh, of not uh, telling the full story. Sometimes, hasn't he? You know, not revealing. But that's part and parcel of being a manager, I, isn't it? That's part and parcel of being a good manager. Yeah. Why should you uh, warn the opposition? Why should you overshow your hand? No, one hundred percent. Let's talk off the pitch because we had another fantastic display by War Flags, and if uh, yeah. You haven't already. There's a special episode. I joined War Flags on Tuesday evening up at St. James Park to get an insight into their display, preparing this Alan's Maximum display. There's an episode on the Everything is Black and White podcast where I've spoken to the group. You can uh, get a bit, of, uh, bit of insight into the atmosphere and what have you. So that will be below this episode on your podcast channel. So do give that a listen and give it a share because um, I... I just think it's really important to pay tribute to the, the the guys and girls of War Flags who are all doing it in their spare time. They've all got busy lives and family lives and yet they're taking the time and effort and commitment to make sure these displays look as good as they do. So do give that a listen. Uh, it was a good display, brilliant display. Without, and without question, it has helped to transform, visually transform St. James's Park. It's an absolute pleasure. And I get up in the press box early now because I want to see that before they kick off. It is quite phenomenal. And the number of visiting pressmen in the press box that are taking pics on their phone of that display if flags, etc., mm. etc., before the game is is quite phenomenal and tells us the impact that it's having. It looked absolutely superb yesterday with it, the gold flags flying and all the flags around the whole of the ground. Obviously, this one was for Alan St. Maxman. It didn't quite have the desired effect. I didn't think. I thought. I, 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 look, he's going to. He was. He was. He yeah. was him, wasn't he? When, when he's running at them, the Palace couldn't handle him. But again, there was just instances where you just think, just pass it or just shoot. His final decision is not always too clever. Uh, whether it's the pass or whether it's the finish, uh, he's exciting on the hoof. He terrifies defenders. But to begin to think, defenders, just show him inside. Let me, and he'll run right across the goal uh, as opposed to at the goal. And you can shunt him. And, you know, bless him, he sometimes looks as if he's, he's the sheep and you've got the, the dog. They're just uh, busy ushering him into the area of the field where you want him to go and he'll do the least damage. 
Yeah, but, but you know, he's always going to be in that side, I think, when, when fully fit. Um, it was funny, though, there was a picture of him in training with Matt Ritchie and uh, the club photographer taking it at the point where the ball was at the feet of St. Maxman and Ritchie had his legs open. And I put out on the Chronicles Facebook page and Instagram that this only ends one way. And I was genuinely looking for the Megs. <laughs> the comments, however... Not so much. A few people did get what I was going for, the, the Megs, but other people, there was a few comments about him putting the ball through Richie's legs or around him and then going back for a third and a fourth time, <laughs> uh, which did bring a little chuckle to my face. It's good to see Newcastle United fans have a good sense of humour. Um, the owners last night, John, at St. James's Park, we didn't just have Amanda Stavely. We didn't just have... We had uh, the chairman, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, there alongside the my dad. Good to see... Jamie Rubin, we had who, who hadn't seen us since we lost to Cambridge. No, he was flying the flag and got involved in that. He then went down into the dressing room. He was on the pick, wasn't he? He did, and that was the bit I was going to get. But well, just first of all, on the the dressing room picture, so uh, Albemarle was in there, Stavely, Rubin, and Gadusi were all part of that, what has now become a tradition every time Newcastle United win. What do you make of that? I, I guess, you know, the last time he was here, as you mentioned, was the Cambridge defeat and he went down into the dressing room. and Made a speech. Yeah, didn't have to do that this time. He just got involved in the picture because Newcastle, you know, six wins in a row. I mean, but for, to, to have his presence and to have the presence of all the owners in the dressing room, there's been a few criticisms about it, you know. Yeah, should they be they, getting that deeply involved? Yeah, there is a feeling, and I know that, that... Um, you know, owners uh, and directors should never be seen in a dressing room. Um, I'm not in agreement with that. I mean, I'm hardly going to compare Newcastle United's dressing room to Gateshead, but uh, in a much smaller form, it is the same sort of thing. And I had a situation with the my managers at Gateshead, and we had managers like Tommy Cassidy, who was at Newcastle, and Jim Platter was the Middlesbrough and Northern Ireland goalkeeper and some big name managers um, if you win and you go down not immediately afterwards when the manager will want to perhaps debrief ever so slightly the team you don't have your emotional meeting then because you might say too many things you have that the next day in training but if you're going in fleetingly to say congratulations well done terrific I'm sure for example Eddie Howe would encourage the owners to go in and be on that picture because it's supposed to be us all together. And you suddenly had the owners all together from the chairman to, to Amanda and her husband, etc., etc. So I think it does show togetherness. If you're not bursting in within 30 seconds of the final whistle, if you're not staying, sitting on the, the bench and talking to each individual player saying how well you did and oh, oh, Perhaps you should have crossed earlier. If you're not getting in the way of the manager, if you're going in, say, congratulations, guys, I'm thrilled a bit, and you get out, that's okay by me. That just shows, I think, just how special Newcastle United is right now. You know, they've got this amazing team spirit. Everybody wants to be involved. Let's remember when Eddie Howe came in, it didn't, he didn't hit the ground running straight away, and there was a few new That would have voices. been impossible. Yeah, but what I'm talking you know, there's just there's, there's a belief in Eddie Howe, there's a belief in these players. Eddie Howe has got a belief in the squad. There's just a connection running throughout the whole of the club from top to bottom, which has not been there in the previous 14 years. So do you know what? Let the owners go in the dressing room and, and, and enjoy this win. If it's done right, yeah. I think it, it's just a plus because when the players go home, they say, hey, 
these guys care. These guys care. There's a thin line. Don't overstep it. Don't hang around too much. Don't discuss personal things. Exactly, and that's something uh, Sir John Hall always says, isn't he? He left the football matters to Kevin totally, Keegan. Totally, he But admits- he'll get some in the wild enthusiasm would, would want to do that, and he gets some man, he gets some owners, and I'm certainly not talking about Newcastle United here, that actually want to pick a team. Yeah. Um, this it becomes an absolute nonsense, and this isn't the situation. What about what about the fact that the chairman went on the pitch and well, stopped playing football? Yes, yes, I was thinking about that, and the video is unbelievable. You can head over to our social media accounts to see the video. There's another one that surfaced as well, where Jamie Rubin actually manages to nutmeg uh, Gadusi on the pitch, which I'm sure will go even more viral after we finish this episode. And what I did like about John being on the pitch is that Amanda Staveley is very, very aware that she's wearing high heels and <laughs> probably got the daggers from the uh, the ground staff somewhere as they're looking. And she actually says, I'm going to ruin the pitch. And she she comes off because, you know, well, she's well aware that you don't want to be ruining the sacred turf of St. James's Park with your high heels. <laughs> I thought that was a nice moment. And then you do have, you know, uh, Al Romani, you know, this picture of him, you know, bringing the ball down on his chest. He then tries a Rabona. Uh, it, all it's just, it's just bizarre and what's even more bizarre is well, I don't want to bring it back to money when you think about the wealth of these people you know but you strip that all back but they just they just see, love Newcastle money can buy lots of things money can't buy enjoyment money can't buy you thinking for 30 seconds you're Alan Shearer on, <laughs> on the pitch it's in James's Park Money can't buy that. Money might get you into pos- into a position to do something like that, i.e. you can afford to buy a football club. But the little things in life are the things that, that really matter. And what has impressed me as much about the owners, and they had plenty of practice because they tried to take over Newcastle for about two years before they actually managed it, so they had plenty of time to learn what's important and what's not. But they've bought in big time to everything Mike Ashley was not. He didn't communicate with fans. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. He wanted to change the name of the club. He had uh, Sports Direct signs everywhere. They have looked at what he did wrong because they knew they were taking over from a hated owner. They knew that they had a public image to create because the Saudis involved without with all the political situation with that and certainly we aren't going to go into that. That is not our bag. But they knew there was PR jobs to be done and they've done it ever so well so far without sycophant, without getting to a situation where you think, wait a minute, this is fans think. Wait a minute. This is all about Eddie Howe and the team, and all we're getting is is owners doing this, that, or the other. It, that hasn't happened. I mean, the public investment fund have a lot of money in a lot of businesses. You know, Facebook, Uber, and what have you. But do you think Al Romani, for all the business deals that he's involved in, obviously he's heading up the the, the the investment fund. Do you think he would have been caught out slightly just by the atmosphere at Newcastle United, the the, the personal touch you know the, the connection with the fans when he looks and sees that display you know oh, Amanda Stavely would have sold the club to him in one way but nothing yeah. beats being in the stands watching the flags go up and then watching Newcastle United win but, and Amanda Stavely wasn't a party to that before it happened uh, you know she it was a very clever business decision it was right it was the old story that Kevin Keegan used to say to me when he came to Newcastle this sleeping giant uh, waiting to be woken up you don't want to take over you don't want to be manager of Manchester United after Ferguson 
because you've got to win about 16 cups before you equal them. So you, you don't want that. You want to take over Newcastle United as manager or as owners when they've won nothing since uh, 69 and nothing domestically since 55 because you've got a huge chance. And... The figures will have been there about the size of the crowd that you get 50,000 in who are supporting failure. They're not getting success. So you know there's a massive base. You know all that. But when you walk into the crowd and you see and feel the atmosphere, I mean, we, for goodness sake, we Geordies haven't felt that for an awful long while because we've been bludgeoned into the ground by the previous managers and owners. Uh, so we haven't seen it for a while. So it's a breath of fresh air to me. It gladdens my old heart. So what's it going to do to to newcomers that have seen nothing like this and suddenly think, by, have we bought the right club or what? Uh, because they have bought the right club. Because you want to buy a club that hasn't won anything. And then when, when we win our first trophy, there'll be absolutely elation for day. There'll be a national holiday for Geordies, wherever they're living in this country. If you won the League Cup or the FA Cup with Manchester City or with Liverpool or, or, or with Arsenal, who used to do it with Wenger all the time, you, you wouldn't blink, would you? Just but another cup. Do, do it at Newcastle. And, you know, the, the last trophy we won was probably the Northumberland Senior Cup. Yeah, well, fingers crossed the FA Cup isn't too far away. Um, should we talk about Norwich, John? I think we might. It is the next up. So, the bottom of the Premier League... They look like they're going to go down. You know, no, they are going to go they're down. They're going to go down. They lost three-two to Manchester United. To be fair to them, you know they played all right against Manchester United, and the goals were of their own making. I mean, when you when you dilly dally on the ball and the the ball is then played. But that's into why. Ronaldo, they, that's why they're bottom. Yeah. And but I'm just I'm just wondering, given you know Newcastle have played yesterday against Palace, and they may be bottom, and they may be lacking the quality that even Newcastle United have got. But they're still, they've still got a, a danger man in Pukey. Um, Newcastle going to have to be on top of their game to, to beat Norwich. Or not? No. Uh, Newcastle have just got to have the right application uh, that they've had. As you said, the only slight doubt anybody might have is how much has the last two games mentally as well as physically taken uh, out of them. And... Eddie Howe loves fielding unchanged teams, especially when we're winning, and I thoroughly understand that. He's got to decide now whether he needs to freshen up the side because of all the work that is, you know, that has gone in by certain players, or whether he says, hey, we can go one more time because the adrenaline will keep us going. This side's won five games out of 32 all season. They've got a good centre forward, but the rest of the team is very average to me. Well, you wouldn't be going down. They, as I say, as recently as the start of December, they were three points ahead of us. They're 19 points behind us now, and we're debating whether Newcastle can beat them or not. Well, not, well, not actually, but no. Um, of course, if you don't pay attention to detail, you can get caught out. But I would be very, very disappointed indeed. I'm not looking for us to draw, which would, you know, you're not beaten again. I'm looking for us to win. Well, that's the important question, is it? Now Newcastle are on 40 points. They're 15 points above Burnley in 18th. We will say they're all but safe. Is it going to be difficult for Eddie Howe to, to 
keep the the players focused on 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 winning games now they look like they're safe because we always talk about don't we? we always talk about the players being on the beach and yeah yeah that's a famous phrase you do it? get the feeling though that Eddie Howe every standard he sets that is until the end of the season no matter where you are in that league and now Newcastle are comfortably mid table they are practically safe I still get the feeling that he will lay down those standards and every player will have to hit that bar regardless of their Premier League stays. I think that's fair comment. And I also think, in fairness to the players, Andrew, that the players have set their own standards. They, especially the ones that were here before January and are automatic in the side now, you know, the Shaws, the Joe Lintons, the Shelbys, etc., etc. I think they were so hurt by what went before, by the... Um, uh, the criticism that went before, and uh, uh, they're saying, "Hey, they're almost motivating themselves as well as buying into Eddie Howe." They're, almost, they're, they're saying to each other, "Come on, we want to finish as high. We want to hold our head up and be proud at the end of this season and say, look what we've done.' Uh, and and that's terrific. And by the way, may we say that when we look at what Fraser was like at the beginning of the season, what Shaw was like, Shelby was like, Joe Linton was like, Kraft was like. And how much they've improved, and we give great credit first to Eddie Howe, and then second to the individuals themselves. It also beggars a question, which we needn't bother talking about here because it's yesterday's news. But what was Steve Bruce doing to these guys? What? Well, how did they play so terribly? How were they so battered and bemused? How did they look as if they hadn't a clue tactically, organisation-wise, and everything? Uh, you know. And Steve Bruce was badly done to. Let's not forget that. We're still in a situation where a lot of people, they're not, the same people aren't saying it now, but a lot of the people were saying how unfair Geordie's were to the manager because really we should be lucky to have him, etc., etc. And I don't want to dump on Steve because it's that's gone and it's not part of the situation and that's fine. But what was he doing to these guys? If they have shown 600% improvement in their individual game... Of course, that's something down to how, but the rest of it's down to the previous manager, is it not? Or am I deluding myself? No, I think many people would, would agree with you, and it's probably change is always good, isn't it? And Eddie Howe clearly is just a different kind of change manager. Change is always good when what went before was rubbish. Yeah, couldn't, yeah you're 100% spot on, and it has been great to see these players you know, just become something totally different and reach the, the levels. So many of them, Andrew, yeah. so many of them look totally different. How important, based on the you know the, the last point there about maybe being on the beach, is the fact that the summer transfer window is coming up and they're going to be hit with all these links about new players Absolutely. coming in? If that doesn't concentrate minds, uh, I'm not certain what will, because each individual uh, has got to think, what am I? What's going to happen to me next season? And I'm talking about everybody, with the possible exception of Bruno Trippier, who's not playing in in, in Bern, and. Um, I mean, if you're the goalkeeper, because it's not a matter just if do you stay at the club or are you sold. You could stay at the club but become a regular bench person. You could be Dubrovka and be sitting in Darlow's position for all of next season if they buy a top, top uh, goalkeeper. Target has got to make certain that he doesn't fall off the edge of the cliff between now and the end of the season if he wants to come to Newcastle permanently because that deal isn't done. 
Kraft has got to think, wait a minute, when Trippier comes back, is it me or Manquillo that's going to be back up to him? They've all, Shaw has got to think, they were trying to buy a centre-half in January, surely they'll buy a centre-half in the summer, what happens to me? Um, and I don't mean he goes out the club, I mean he warms the bench. Um, you know, so there's each individual, Wood's got to think, they're bound to buy a centre-forward and Wilson's going to be fit. Am I going to be sitting on the bench for getting spelks in my bum for most of next season? They've all got a reason why. And we haven't talked about Almiron and Murphy and who have to cement some sort of future within Newcastle United. So there's there's not anybody that hasn't got something to play for. That said then, and, and you've previously mentioned the fact that legs might be a little bit tired. Mm. We've spoken about your midfield three, but let's get let's get this team locked down then. Dubravka starts. Uh, yes, without a shadow of a doubt. Back four's got to stay the back four because yeah. it's been the whole strength of this Newcastle run of six. Is The consistent thing has been the back four. Midfield three remain the same? If, if they're capable physically of doing it, yes. If they're not, you've got Willick and, and Longstaff who can go in there and only looking at them very closely on the training pitch and listening to them in the dressing room to see how mentally exhausted they are will tell you on that. You would say Miggy starts hoping to get yeah, another of course, goal. Of course, he's bound to. Then St Maximin on the, other, on the other flank and then Chris Wood up front. So yeah, it, it comes down like, to the fitness and, and I'm sure... It's totally about... Uh, when I say fitness, I'm not talking about match fitness. I'm talking about tired legs mm. or tired minds. That sort of fitness. Not physical fitness or we haven't got a knock so we all go again. It's minds that have got to be sharp. Finally then, how is it going to end against Norwich? Going to beat them. And, and we want to beat them because however optimistic you are and other Geordies are, and however hopeful I am, Liverpool and Manchester City, by anyone's standards, the next two games after Norwich, are a different kettle and of you fish. You want momentum They're going not into those impossible. games. But also, you want the cushion. We want to finish high. 40 is enough. Job's done. We all, all, all this season was about was staying up after the horrendous start we had. Job is done. But we want to be in a position at the end of the season where we have some pride. Now, if we lose to Manchester City and Liverpool, which I think even you would suspect is a possibility, if not a probability, if we lose to them, we don't want to have lost to Norwich. If we can beat Norwich and go to 43, we can afford to lose those two if we happen to. And Arsenal are so hitty-missy you can get them on a bad day as well as a good day so you could beat them up here and Burnley might be down by the time we go there in which case we win again so you want to get a good finish to the season this squad and this manager deserve a good final table to look at with pride and to do that is a bit of a safeguard let us beat Norwich and they are beatable and we owe them because it's unbelievable to think the season they've had, we are going down there and we can't do a double against them. Because they've got a 1-1 one, one up here against 10 men. For the, We can't do a double against Norwich, who are the worst side in the Premier League. That shows you how far we've come from what we were to what we are now. The only double we can get this season is on the last day against Burnley. 
Yeah, I mean that, that, that's an excellent point. And when you just look, like you say, you look at the league table the last time these two sides met, and it's amazing to see the way it's oh. changed. Um, and obviously that game, that 1-1 draw, was the moment Joe Linton changed from a potential flop into a potential Patrick Vieira from Cass United. So we'll uh, we'll take a happy memory from that game, John. Um, this has been the Everything is Black and White podcast. John, thank you, as always, for joining us. Delight. You guys listening, please remember to like and follow the podcast through your podcast. We are totally free to do. just means with every new episode we upload, you will get a notification to say it's ready for you to download or listen to. And do take a little listen to that War Flags episode, which will be below this episode on your podcast channel. And head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep up with all the latest Newcastle United news. And may I just add, just at the end, come on you, Miggy, let us have another go. Let us be leaping round the room. Let me be tying Andrew's ankles to the chair so that he doesn't fly away in the air. We would genuinely love that to happen. Go and do it, Miggy. Don't rest on any levels. <laughs> <laughs>